TV, True Detective, Season 3, Episode 4, The Hour and the Day. Before we start, sorry that this is out a little bit later in the week than usual, but I had a big week. Moved this week, bought a house, I've been packed, uh, jammed tight on my schedule, so my bad. But let's go, let's get to it. We pick up Episode 4, Wayne and Roland are trying to investigate the picture they found at the end of episode three with Will Parcell, uh, basically his communion picture, the same way he was found dead. They want to know more about that. They want to talk to the church. So they go and they talk to the church, and they're trying to investigate about this aunt that they don't, that doesn't actually exist. They're trying to talk to the church about, you know, asking about the picture, looking around, talking to the priest, who seems a little creepy, seems a little creepy, and they learn about Patty Davis, who is the doll maker. You know, the little white dolls that got made that was found at the murder scene. They find out that Patty Davis, a woman down the street, a good woman, is the one who makes them. So then they leave, and they head to go see her. I don't like him. Priest. I know his alibi is good, but I don't like him. Man signs up to go without fucking for life. Either he don't know himself for a liar, or he's some type limited edition psycho, you know? So there you have Roland basically pointing out, like, hey, I don't trust the priest. Uses the you know uses a little bit of a colorful example talking about how hey anybody who signs up for a life without sex is either a liar or a psychopath because Roland Roland likes sex Roland likes sex but they they don't trust the priest and on the way to the car they came up with a a pretty much an understanding an agreement that what happened with Will and Julie and what ultimately ended up with Will dying was Will protecting his sister trying to defend her and he ends up dead but that he was never really the target this was about his little sister the little girl he's just kind of collateral damage all right but then they get to to patty we go see patty patty confirms that she is the doll maker she made those dolls she sold some at a fair and patty is uh i don't know if she's racist or just kind of what you would expect from a old woman who grew up in the South, who is still in the South in the year 1980. I'd only sold a couple, and then one man bought ten off me. That was nice. You know who he was? You remember anything about him? Didn't recognize him. A Negro man like yourself. Oh, he had a dead eye, uh, filmy, you know, like a cataract. Nothing about his face besides the eye? Handsome, ugly? Like I say, he was black. You speak to him at all? He said what the dolls were for? Well, I asked, and I think he said he had nieces and nephews. That man, any chance he mentioned where they live? No. Uh, well, I just assumed that would have been with the rest of them over the tracks in Davis Junction. So Patty confirms that a black man with a messed up eye bought 10 of those dolls, said they were for his nephew and nieces. 
can't give any further description other than he's a black man. Not even whether or not he's a handsome or ugly black man. He's just a black man, according to her. And you can see the kind of disgust on, on Wayne's face as she answers with that. Like, yeah, no, I already said he's a black man when he asked if he was good looking or ugly. They're all the same, basically, is what she's saying. A black man. Where does he live? Well, I don't know. I would say he lives over there with all the rest of them. All the rest of what? Basically, all the rest of the other black men. So here we go. We got Patty, who you get a little bit of prejudice there with her. I do think it's important kind of when it comes to identifying. You know, she's not really any help. Uh, the black people all the same. Uh, maybe with the, you know, relationship towards towards Wayne. I don't know if that really plays into it. We'll see. You know, obviously, Roland's there, too. Roland's a white man with blonde hair. He's nice. She actually kind of, you know, she talked to him and was receptive and trying to help, but we got racist uh, Patty. We got racist Patty. Then we go to a time hop. We go to a time hop. We go to 1990, and we see Amelia and Wayne fight. Wayne is excited. He's back on the He's back on the force. He's working the case. He's doing his job again, but Amelia's still mad at his outburst following the Walmart trip, right, where Amelia was doing investigation. And Amelia was helping further this case and trying to figure out what happened to the Purcell kids, especially Julie. And Wayne, who was, you know, had just freaked out on his daughter after the Walmart trip, he was mad at her. So now the roles are reversed. Wayne's happy. Wayne's working the case. Wayne's got some, you know, some type of, I guess, reason to get up. Amelia is obviously still mad about this questions you know his will to get up says basically the only reason you stand up most of the time is because you're propped up that way then you see some animosity right you see some animosity really growing in their relationship in terms of he's mad that she's writing this book he's mad that she's using these tragedies of these kids to try to further some type of career to go on to bigger and better things to which she takes offense to and it's like yeah yeah you say that like it's a bad thing i wish you had some type of ambition is basically what she said. Like, you don't really uh, attribute anything around, or contribute, I guess, anything around here. You just kind of go through the motions. And that's something that's really tough to hear, right? Like, if if you really get into it with your partner and and that, that gets brought out, that's one of the worst things I think you can say about someone is that they don't really have any ambition, any drive. The fight continues as they go up to the room, um, Wayne stops, turns the TV up as his kids are watching TV, goes into the room, and then it gets weird. It gets weird, I guess. This continues leading into, uh, I don't know, I'll just let you hear. I don't want to be around you right now. You want me to leave you alone and stop talking shit? Because when you talk shit about me, I'm required to defend myself. How can you defend yourself? You can't defend yourself because you don't know what's wrong. Did the wife in your scenario play any part in the conflict, any role the last 10 years. Let go of me, Wayne. Stop talking shit about me. Or what? Or I'm gonna start crying. That's a first. Thinking can't understand each other. We're never gonna. Oh, great, Wayne. Walk away. Surprise, surprise. What do you want me to do, huh? You want me to yell some more? You want me to hit you? You want me to fuck you? Just give me my orders, Major. I wanna finish this. All on your schedule, I guess. Be happy when you say, fight when you say, talk when you say, fuck ever so often. How about right now? What? How about right now? You got some major cognitive dissonance. 
I mean, really strange scene. You know, you get it. This is the crumbling of their relationship. But this episode and this, you know, jump from, hey, we are we are looking at Patty Davis to now all of a sudden Amelia and Wayne are fighting 10 years later. This really is the first instance where I start to question the, the time travel. And the time travel has been a little confusing up until this point. So it's not the first time I've thought this, but this is the first time I feel like it just feels misplaced. Like maybe three time periods are too tough to navigate, especially for scenes that don't really matter much or at least flow in the same respect. Like if you think back to True Detective season one, you had three time periods, but they wrapped up everything from 1995 before moving to 2002, right? So you you kind of saw that you know that point in that story get wrapped up, and then it chronologically made sense, all while referencing it in 2012. But here, you go from 2015 to 1980 to 1990, back to 2015 to 1980. It just seemed like there was no rhyme or reason in this. It left me really scratching my head, but obviously we see here... Uh, as Wayne says it at the end of their uh, right, right before they have sex, that you know this there's some real cognitive dissonance between what Amelia's saying and her actions, right? And cognitive dissonance obviously uh, means basically having inconsistent thoughts, beliefs, or attitudes. You know, especially when it comes to how you behave, and you know Amelia's yelling at Wayne for all this stuff that she's claiming to be unhappy about the stuff that's you know bothering her when it comes to their relationship and and Wayne's and Wayne's life and lack of ambition then all of a sudden she's like okay let's just have sex to which he says well that's some real cognitive dissonance which it just seems like a weird thing to say to someone I don't know I did have a little bit of problem with that in this episode too in a couple other scenes of just it doesn't seem like real conversations real conversations but then we go back here we are, uh, we're, we're back in 1980 as they are looking for the the black man with a dead eye. The black man with the dead eye. And as they're trying to figure out where to start, there's another little racial tension brought up as, as Roland says, let's start at the liquor store. Wayne jokingly kind of says, hey, that's racist. To assume the black man's going to be at the liquor store. And then Wayne's, you know, and then Roland's just like, well, there's three businesses here. And there's a reason that that one stays in, that one stays in, in business. But they get there, they talk to him, they ask him about straw dolls. He's like, hell no, what are you talking about? I've never bought any straw dolls. No, man, no. And he feels like, hey, I'm being, uh, you know, basically lumped in. You hear that there is a black man with a bad eye, and now you're here at my doorstep. I've been at work. Anyone will tell you the rest of the area, the, um, the neighborhood, the trailer park, come and you know basically to his defense and are really tested towards the cops as the cops try to take him in to the trailer and figure things out nothing really happens here uh, to further the case outside of outside of you know Roland getting his window smashed Roland getting his window smashed by angry people uh, but another kind of dead end in the case I thought the car scene afterwards uh, I thought the car scene afterwards kind of again touched on the racial tensions here where where Wayne despite what just happened in terms of uh, these these black people being mean to the cops Wayne still feels kind of an obligation to defend them and not to get you know have have them lumped in 
for committing these crimes, he asks Roland, can we just say that this was a a vandalism, a random vandalism? And then there's an awkward silence, and, and Roland's like, you know, as opposed to the angry Negroes, sure. And that's kind of just the relationship, you know, further bonding, and, you know, they, they've talked about racial tension between the two, but here, uh, you know, Roland is going to grant him his request, basically, of we're not going to, to say an angry group of black people would damage my car. We'll just say it was kind of random. Keeps going. We're back to 1980 where Wayne and Amelia are on their, like, on a dinner date. Weird time jump. Don't really know the point of it. Just further proves that they are falling in love while talking about this case at every turn. I mean, we know already, though, that this case has that their love life has centered around this case, that their life from 1980 on has centered around this. We already knew all this stuff, basically. I mean, we get to hear we get to hear Wayne spit some game here, maybe. We get to see Wayne spit some game here, maybe, and then that's pretty much it. That's pretty much the only purpose of this scene. Now, this next one, this next one, as, as Roland goes to pick up Tom, who has been in a fight at the bar with someone who was sleeping with his wife. This next little scene here is seems seems pretty important. And there there have been some real progressions. Like I'm still unsure whether or not this show's even any good. Like I enjoy it. It's you know, I enjoy the show, but I don't know if it's any good, if that makes sense. But I will say that from you know episode one, maybe even into episode two, I said that this is a Ali vehicle that really you're only going to care about Wayne. And I got to admit, that's changed pretty drastically. That's changed pretty drastically over the next two episodes. Like credit to both Tom and Roland who have really delivered good performances here. I find myself caring a lot about them in this exchange in the car with Tom, who is pretty much at the end of his ropes. At the end of the rope, at, at the end of his ropes, as as Roland picks him up to try to take him home, this exchange here, it, there's a lot here, and it's one of the better scenes of the entire series so far, in my opinion. You're such a joke. You need the one nigger cop on the job to help babysit me. He's the best detective on the case. I'm trying to find your daughter. I apologize. That word I used. I don't want to kick my ass. He's having a ride. You've gotten your ass kicked enough for now. You taking me home? Yeah. I can't be in that house, man. Every inch of that place is them kids. I can't be there. I can't sleep there. I just want to die. All the time. I got a jail cell for you. Or I got a couch. Why don't you use that? Let me see how tomorrow looks. Oh my God. I'm so sorry I used that word. Don't tell him. He's been called worse by people meant it more than you did. I'm sorry for that, too. I don't know if I'm supposed to feel as bad for Tom as I do here. Like, you know, obviously, when he starts the conversation off by dropping the N-word, you're like, okay, that's, that's no good. But you do f- almost feel and see the the genuine remorse in his voice and his body language as that happens 
as he's apologizing because he realizes what he said. Like, hey, I have all this misplaced anger. I shouldn't be saying that. Like, I've talked to Wayne. Wayne's good. Wayne's trying to help. Uh, please don't tell him I said that. And you also see Roland kind of show some mercy. See, like, hey, man, this guy's at the end of his ropes. I'm not going to make this worse. I know he doesn't really mean it. You heard him say that when he's like, oh, Wayne's been called worse by people who actually meant it. And then you see uh, the relationship start to blossom as he lets him come and sleep on his couch. You know, we know from 1990 that he helps Tom get off of booze, uh, you know, about 1985, roughly. But this is, is apparently the starting of their actual... I don't want to call it a friendship, but sure, they're a friendship. And Tom, man, like Tom shows, like, hey, he kind of shows the grieving parent side here of, like, what happens when you, you know, when tragedy meets you, when tragedy comes and, you know, you lose a kid. And he's talking about, I can't stay home. I can't stay home. I can't be in that house. Everything's about the kids. It reminds me, it basically, it makes me want to die. Basically, it makes me want to die. So you see, you know, you hear that from Tom as, you know, he's trying to find meaning uh, to life. We go to 1990 where there's some tension between Roland and Wayne as they're trying to rework this case. And, you know, Roland's giving his guys direction, instruction, orders. And Wayne continues to interrupt him with ideas, although Wayne does make a good point of like, hey, we're racing the clock now. Like, we know she's alive. It's out there that she's alive. Whoever's looking for her is going to know where to look and where to find her. And if she escaped from something, uh, things could get bad, right? Things could get bad. Another time jump, 2015, Wayne's talking to the documentary director, trying to play dumb, playing like he's just trying to remember things, although we know that he's investigating this case. But he's trying to figure out everything the documentary director knows. They're in a hotel room. Something weird's been going on. There's two glasses of wine. Maybe somebody was up there. Maybe it was Wayne's son. I don't know if that's supposed to be the implication that Wayne's son's having sex with this director or whatever. But here we go. And we find out that creepy cousin Dan O'Brien died after resurfacing in 1990. There's some, you know, talk basically of of Wayne playing dumb. He can't possibly be investigating the case. He can barely remember where he's at most of the time. So uh, we see that at least he's getting more aggressive with her in 2015. Back to 1980, it's time travel, man. Like I'm telling you, this is the first episode where it really starts weighing on me. Uh, but we see Will Purcell's bike. Uh, fingerprints have came back with uh, Freddie Burns. You know, the long-haired teenager, the long-haired teenager that we've seen throughout the throughout the series, throughout the series. And then we get to another strange interaction. We've, we've seen Tom. We've heard him grieving. We've heard how this has taken a toll on him. And now we get to see the wife, Miss Purcell, as, as Amelia stops by to see her. I've got the soul of a whore. A lot of times... We do things to hurt ourselves because we think we deserve to be hurt. Whatever you think you did or didn't do, you don't deserve to suffer. You don't need to be punished. And those children wouldn't want you doing that to yourself. I never knew my mama. All I hoped, and when I knew enough to help, was that them kids might have a better time of it than I did. But even then, I couldn't make that easy on them. This wasn't a very happy home. Children should laugh. There wasn't a lot of laughter around here. Every parent wants to do more. 
but people make mistakes. Not like this. Not like I did. What do you mean? I ran around on Tom. I always run around. And sometimes in this house, I know that I have the soul of a whore. Sometimes I couldn't breathe in this house. And I didn't even argue with that part of me. Well, what kind of woman hates the only things that ever showed her love? So here you have uh, Lucy Purcell talking guilt, which this is another one when I mentioned earlier that there's just some convos that I don't think actually happen. I don't think you invite, you know, you have a stranger come in and start off with, I have the soul of a whore and talk remorsefully about cheating and, and ruining your kids' lives. I, I just don't, that didn't feel genuine to me, uh, but we got it. And you see Lucy struggling, realizing that everything she's done to her kids in that house is now playing out and she's being punished for it and her kids are being punished for it. And, you know, how do you not, how do you hate the things that the, you know, the only things that love you talking about her kids talking about how, you know, basically implying that she felt tied down and like she was trapped there. Also trapped with Tom, her husband as she cheated on him because again, she has the soul of a whore. And then she goes and kind of mirrors what Tom was saying about suicide, you know, talks about having a revolver and looking for that last bit of courage to uh, pull the trigger, to pull the trigger. And then she kind of has a breakdown saying she's sorry, she's been so awful, which leads to Amelia kind of say, oh, God, what have you done, basically, without saying that. But that's what the audience feels, and you can see that on Amelia as she's now thinking, oh, no, have you done something that has actually gotten your daughter or your, you know, or your son killed? To which Lucy had, does what apparently everyone in the, uh, the rural Arkansas landscape does, which is then go crazy and start getting racist. And she calls her a, a, a pickaninny, which is a racial slur. Chases her out. Goes crazy. As Amelia had tried to tell her, hey, tell the cops if something happened. We need all the information we can get. We can get. Uh, we see uh, Tom Woodard, the trash man, talking to two young girls about their cans. Saying, hey, uh, you know, can I have those when you're done? I'll bring you half of the commission. They say, okay, as that's happening, one of the, the redneck dads from episode three sees that what's happening angrily calls up his boys. And this is followed by a really strange scene, you know, with, with 2015 Wayne being haunted again. Uh, last time it was by Amelia, who talks about him hiding things in the woods and, and how he needs to end this. And this is now 2015 Wayne as he's trying to go through and remember things and battle demons is surrounded by the Viet Cong, which felt forced. We get it. He's seeing ghosts. He's having breakdowns. We kind of already understand his what's going on with him mentally, but we have it again. Uh, this is a weird scene. I don't know what else to say about it. I mean, I, I don't know. We go back to 1980 where they're, you know, they're questioning Freddie Burns says that, hey, basically, you know, for your 18th birthday, we're about to get you life in prison. We're about to get you life in prison for what you did to uh, Will Purcell. He says, okay, I, I've bullied him. I had his bike. I chased him in the woods. There's 30 minutes of disappearance that we don't know where this kid is. So uh, his story of chasing him in the woods could be true, but there's 30 minutes where he went into the woods and didn't come back. He says he got lost. But that 30-minute window is going to most likely prove costly uh, for for Freddie. Although afterwards, uh, you know, 
after he breaks down as Roland tells him, talks to him about getting raped again, which, you know, as as uh, Roland points out as Wayne's go-to move, as, as Wayne vividly talks about getting raped in prison, uh, they say that, now nah, they don't think that he's actually the killer. Like, he says he'll end up in prison in five years or so, just not for this. Just not for this. Uh, 1990 Wayne sees Julie Purcell on surveillance. Then we get to the then we get to the climax. Then we get to the climax where Tom Woodward, excuse me, Tom Woodard is in the road walking back as these rednecks are coming after him again. To which he drops all of his cans and sprints through a field trying to beat them home. He runs to the fields trying to beat them home to where he has it booby trapped. He has his he, you know the back in, in episode three. I thought it was guns. It's guns. He's strapped. He's ready to go. He's got his grenade out in the front lawn with a trip wire. He's got his, uh, was it a mortar? Excuse me if I'm wrong on that. It's what I just assumed it was. But he's got the house booby-trapped, ready for war as these rednecks are coming to his house. Uh, the cops talk to uh, come uh, an officer come and tells Wayne and Roland, hey, things are going down at the trash man's house. You need to get over there. There's guns. Which, by the way, they had to have lived a tenth of a mile away for them to get there in time because, you know, you didn't see the guns walking through the the yard until really about 30 seconds as they get to the door. And those cops got there right away, right away. little questionable if you ask me, uh, but they get there and then we're left with the cliffhanger of one kicking down the door. This episode overall, 6 out of 10, maybe. 6 out of 10. I feel okay about it. But I am excited moving forward. I hope that it's starting to really uh, pick up as they get to the home stretch. And I thought that the most entertaining part of the hour and 15-minute episode was the as seen on, or coming up on next week, where, spoiler alert, if you don't want any Easter eggs from the, from the upcoming episode, uh, go ahead and cut off the podcast, and I love you. But you see the bodies laid out on the grass. You see the bodies laid out on the grass. That that happens. You know, there's going to be bloodshed uh, from this man's house. And you also, something that maybe isn't seen, but something I noticed and something that I, you know, theorized back in episode one was like, man, this feels like it's going to be connected to season one. And we finally really get our second clue, but our biggest clue that it's going to happen. If you remember in episode two or three, the director mentions the uh, the circle, the circular tattoos or whatever, the symbol of the Carcosa. But if you watch in the you know scene next week, you'll see that as she's talking to to Wayne in 2015 on her computer, there is Rust and Marty. We see Rust and Marty on her computer talking about how they stopped the serial killer, and she's asking Wayne about these bigger connections and if there's something there. So she thinks that this is tying into the Yellow King and Carcosa and True Detective Season 1. And boom, right there. Hey, Woody. Hey, McConaughey. Hey, Rust. Hey, Marty. Staring right back at us. So I think that's where it's really going to uh, – I think it has to tie in at this point. I think it has to tie in at this point. The The offhand comment about the, offhand comment about the circular tattoos – I think were, I think would have been just uh, enough to kind of give a nod, like, hey, we know this is kind of similar to season one, but now that they're revisiting it in episode five, five of eight, right? So we're ha- we're at the halfway point. It's getting ready to pick up. Uh, now I think you're going to see that really start to uh, progress in the storyline. All right, 
hopefully it gets better moving forward. I'll try to have one up on Monday uh, recapping episode five. Sorry it took so long again. Uh, busy week for me. This episode it was all over the place for me. This recap might have been all over the place. But I am excited about where it's headed, at least. I am excited about where it's headed, especially now that we know there's going to be some type of tie into, into season one. Into season one. All right, that was episode four of Let's Talk TV. If you want to talk about it with me, uh, sign up for the Patreon, patreon.com slash Reed's Ranch. If you like the product, go to iTunes, subscribe to Reed's Ranch. Leave me a five-star review. If you don't leave me a five-star review, in the words of Wayne, I will cry. All right, we'll talk soon.